everyone, and welcome to the Actually Autistic Podcast with my guest, Marcy Champy. Marcy is an autistic self-advocate, a blogger, a published author, a senior employment recruiter, a diversity and inclusion trainer. She's a professional speaker and educator. She does peer mentoring, and she has a master's in education with a lot of coursework in psychology. You may know her better as Samantha Kraft. Welcome, Marcy. (laughs) Thank you, and thank you for having me here today. I look forward to speaking with you. Oh, I'm so excited that you're here, and I I just need to kind of get my fan gushing out, like, right at the beginning here, or I won't be able to concentrate. So there were three main sources that made me go, okay, this is very likely me. I am very likely autistic. And one of them was a really random post on a friend's Facebook feed. Another one was uh, Sarah Hendricks video about Mm -hmm. being autistic. And yeah, one of the most influential and powerful things that I read was your females with Asperger's syndrome checklist. And I read that list. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, there will be a link on the webpage, but also you can just Google Asperger's syndrome checklist, Samantha Craft, and it will pop up right away. I guarantee it. So I went through that list and it, it was uh, like, well, sure, everybody's got some of this list. And then I went through it again and I was thinking, well, but do they all have 95% of this list? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. And I sent the list. I, I, It's just such a mind-blowing experience to look at that, to have never seen myself represented in, in any kind of direct way. And to suddenly see these lists of things that I thought was just me it was like the most amazing psychic reading ever (laughs) to see all those things and so and then of course you know the self-questioning comes in and it's like well you know maybe I'm just so desperate to fit in somewhere that I just want to see myself in this list you know the drill and so (laughs) I showed the list to my husband and a few other people And then one day I cornered my mother-in-law, who's a lovely, sweet, accepting woman and the soul of kindness, but also very direct and scientifically minded. And I knew would tell me straight up what she thought. And we were working on a crafting project and I started reading this list to her and she just started laughing and laughing with me. We were both laughing so hard because it's me, it's me. Uh, how I'm not alone in this experience you know how did you decide to write that oh I'm getting way ahead of myself okay how did I I decide to write the list I'd be be glad to answer that I'm sure you would but I feel like we should start from the beginning so okay so listeners you're going to have to wait to hear that I know it's kind of a cliffhanger but I I want to give Marcy the chance to tell us uh, how this all started for her, and then 
we'll get to sure. that answer. So how did you come to suspect that you might be autistic? Well, I can probably weave both of those questions in together um, for you, if, if that's helpful. That would be lovely, yes. And, and I'm really glad that the list was helpful for you. I was sharing today on social media, on Facebook, that uh, being an, an advocate, even a self-advocate or an advocate for the autistic community or adults on the spectrum community isn't something that I ever planned on doing or <laughs> um, I'm even comfortable doing. I'm actually quite uncomfortable doing it. But I have a inner calling from within and from without. And I do believe in the collective unconscious and that we are all connected in, in a way. And, and I think mm -hmm. science is starting to prove that. And I feel that I must speak what I feel connected to the autistic experience. And I've had dozens, if not hundreds of people message me at different times and say, you know, you've read my mind, you read my mind. And, and what I respond to them is, no, I think you jumped into my mind. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what the experience is. But back to your, your question, like, how did my journey begin, is I have a son who's on the autism spectrum. I have three beautiful sons. Two are adults, and one is 17 now. Can't believe it. And my middle son, who's now 20 and attending university and studying to get a degree in writing and editing, who writes superbly, even better than me, is um, on the autism spectrum, Asperger's, diagnosed at age five, and he is just doing splendidly. Um, my journey started with him, and at that time there wasn't a lot of literature, there wasn't a lot of online information about autism, and what was there was very stereotypical um, and incorrect, no empathy, not a, no ability to have friends, etc. And my girlfriend, who I grew up with, she came over and she saw my son running around and I explained, you know, I, these are the struggles I've been having. He was four at the time and she said, I think that he has this condition called Asperger's. I'm going to Xerox a page for you back in the Xerox days mm -hmm. and mail it to you. And that's how our, our journey started to unravel with autism and Asperger's way back when, um, over let's see, 20 subtract 5, um, 15, 16 years ago. I, that, that time I learned a lot about autism. I, I wanted to be my son's best advocate, best supporter, best nurturer, and do whatever I could. And I ended up spending hours, countless hours, advocating for him. I was one of the first in our school district, his school district, to insist and quote the law and get a one-on-one -on -one aid for him. Mm. They wanted to put him in a special needs class. And I adamantly said, no, he doesn't have um, mm -hmm. behavioral problems. He doesn't have intellectual challenges. Mm -hmm. He needs to be integrated. He needs to be with the rest of the class. And so that was a long, long, hard journey, as I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to. I also started a support group at that time called SEAMS, Support Education and Advocacy for Mothers with Children with Special Needs. Mm -hmm. um, and we would meet and talk about how to advocate for ourselves. I was able to get um, uh, books into the library, and I was able to have teachers come to me 
and thank me for getting them into conferences because I quoted mm. the law and said, you know, these teachers need to go to conferences. They need to learn about mm -hmm. how to support children that have um, exceptional needs. So that's how my journey began. I didn't know that many years later <laughs> it was going to be me starting to self-advocate for myself. Um, when my son was in high school, he was seeing a counselor um, which didn't last long because, quite frankly, he was smarter than the counselor. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> bless yeah. his heart. Yeah. And at that time, I asked her if she thought I might be, at that time I used the terminology, have Asperger's. I said, do you think I might have Asperger's? And she said, you, most definitely. Oh, wow. And that's because I used to ramble a lot, I think, when I was talking to her. So from there... I called many different psychologists and counseling offices. I talk about this on my website. Um, there's an article called, So You Think You Might Be on the Autism Spectrum, Now What? And it lists my journey and different resources. But Wonderful. So from, from there, I called many different counselors and said, you know, trying to find an autistic professional. So this is about six years ago, something like that. And was having a really hard time, took several months finally found someone and they specialized in men with mm. autism on the autism spectrum and I sent him my link to my blog I explained what it was like from the perspective of a female and um, he saw me and diagnosed me with being on the spectrum or at that time Asperger's syndrome and my journey continued to unfold um, I was going to pursue a degree in counseling, MFCC, and I speak of this um, in my book, Everyday Asperger's. The dean of the department, I went to him after class one day because my counselor had suggested it, and I said, I just wanted to let you know, you know, as a student in the um, counseling program, that my therapist believes I likely have Asperger's syndrome. And what I was, I guess my hope for and my expectation at the time was that he would somehow embrace that and ask, oh, what's that like? Or mm -hmm. can you share with us that experience? That's fantastic. Can you be a resource for us? <laughs> we don't know a lot about that. But instead, what I got was a very traumatic response for me in which um, there's only one other person in the class in the classroom at that time besides me and the Dean of the Department of Counseling my teacher professor and what I got instead was about five to ten minutes I can't really remember because it just seemed for an eternity of him shaming me and telling me that um, did I think it was okay to be announcing to the world that my brain and my son's brain was broken and that I was creating my Asperger's so that I could fit in with my son. And, oh that, my. and that, you know, a decade ago, Asperger's autism would have just been called gifted. And I was blown away because this was the head of the psychology department. Um, from there, I requested a mediation. And what ended up happening is, in, in a sense, I was sabotaged. I was called into his office with his subordinate, so and it was not a mediation 
mm. um, environment. It was very mm-hmm. much um, superior, inferior environment. And the witness that was in the room, and she happened to be from Canada, and she had to redo her whole license because she moved to America. And she all of a sudden couldn't remember anything that happened in that room mm. because she was afraid of being removed Deported. from the program if yeah. she defended me. Yeah. And so I was ostracized again, um, told that my perception of the event didn't occur. Mm. Then I met with the um, someone else um, at the university. I think I incorrectly said he was the dean. He was the head of the department, uh-huh. uh, head of the psychology department. Then I met with the dean, mm-hmm. and um, she said, I think it's best going forward in, in your future that you never tell anyone that you have autism. Oh, my gosh. Or that you have Asperger's, and that a psychology counseling program is no place for that. <gasps> <laughs> and that she thought it was best if I left the program. Wow. So this was my first experience. Oh my god. <laughs> my first my first coming out, if you will. <gasps> oh. And I'm so thankful for it because it gave me great empathy for people who have to come out for other things, such as oh. transgenders, um, etc. Yeah. Uh, it, it just gave me such empathy, great empathy. At the time it was extremely painful. I had nightmares for a couple of years. But what ended up happening is two things occurred. My best friend who lived next door, we'd been best friends for a year. She had lived there for a year. She moved across the country. And she was the person that I confided in the most and talked to every day. And she was like the person I could just ramble onto and process and get all that angst and anger out. Mm -hmm. Well, she she was gone. And... So that was the first part. And the second part was this um, head of the Department of Psychology. Yeah. And so I had to find a way to take this angst and pain and and return to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing. I started my blog, Everyday Aspers. And the first, if you read it, um, it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be a year long. I think it was four years long. <laughs> and there's a thou- over a thousand posts. <laughs> Um, oh my goodness. When I first started writing, it was going to be for a year. And if you read it, the first year, the language, the tone, what I choose to talk about, there's a lot of insecurities in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of wanting attention and, and needing feedback from the community and wanting people to make me know that I was okay. And then it transitions and it becomes more of, an empowerment tone and an acceptance tone and I'm okay tone. And that's when a lot of inner growth happened for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to transform several years ago from this insecure person who had lost her childlike nature and love and and optimism and hope into this, this beautiful being that just really loved herself and loved everyone around her. And I owe that not to myself, but to the community, not only the autistics or those that call them as, themselves Aspie, but, but the parents and their supporters and their loved ones and the professionals who took the time to connect with me, either through my 
blog or, or through Facebook, mm -hmm. that I was no longer alone, that I was no yeah. longer quirky or strange or didn't belong, didn't fit in, that I was okay. And most importantly, that I was heard, understood, seen, and believed. And so what I did from there is I started practicing that for other people, mm -hmm. autistic and similar profiles, that when they would contact me, I just wanted to make sure that they felt, as best as I could, seen and heard and believed. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about advice. I try to steer clear of that. It wasn't mm -hmm. about, you know, do it this way, I know the answers. Right. It was, you matter. And I'm so happy, and I would use the word proud, which I don't use with many things, <laughs> to, to be part of this growing community. And I believe that that light attracts the light. And when I, I was thinking about this this morning, when I look around at, at the people I know in my life now and, and that know me, they're so beautiful and so kind and so empathetic and generous and high integrity and creative and they have that childlike spirit that some religions mention as being blessed and I feel so fortunate because I know that they reflect me so that I must be like that as well and so that's how my journey got started and that trait list evolved as part of that blogging experience Early on in the blogging experience, I was looking at the autism traits online and the list that they had, and they were very much geared toward one type of autistic experience, very logical, um, particularly more, maybe you'd see a man present that way, although I've been in touch with hundreds of men that present exactly like I do mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to tear this list apart, <laughs> <laughs> the survey apart that they had online, and I'm going to change it all from the perspective of what it's like for me to experience being on mm -hmm. the spectrum. And so that is how I built that list. And actually what's hilarious is people will write to me and say, I'm 95% of that list. <laughs> and I'll say, yeah, well, I'm 100%. <laughs> That's me, basically. Well, you're cheating. <laughs> of course you're going to get the highest score. <laughs> well, I was, I was, I've been diagnosed as gifted, so, you know, I, I, I get to create the test that I get 100% on automatically. You know, well, why that not? Just, that just <laughs> proves how smart you are. That's all that proves. <laughs> and I've actually just started to embrace that gifted diagnosis. I this is the first time actually publicly I've said it. Mm. Um, I don't know why. Maybe because I thought there was some shame in that, which is hilarious. Because yet yeah, I can speak about autism and no right. shame in that. You know, right. but gifted. Oh, there's shame because oh, I might sound conceited or better than but you know it, it is a, it is a form of a diagnosis and I've been reading a book called living with intensity mm. and I highly recommend it uh, it was recommended to me by a co-worker at ultra testing and we'll talk about that later and it is the experience of the a gifted child and the gifted adult mm -hmm. and the perspective is just outstanding um, it talks about a psychologist that I can't remember his name because I have poor working memory <laughs> and dyslexia um, and just 
dysgraphia or dyspraxia. <laughs> I, I, it's hilarious because I mix up dysgraphia and dyspraxia because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, I could go off on a tangent on that. but um, Okay, tell me again the name of that book. I'm sorry. It's called Living with Intensity. Living and what I love intensity. about it okay. is there's so many correlations. There's so many connections between how they describe the gifted child and adult's experience to mm -hmm. the autistic experience. Mm -hmm. So many, from sensory to not fitting in, to mm -hmm. not being able to stop talking, mm -hmm. to having obsessive interests. And, you know, obsessive, quote unquote, you know, I don't mean to be negative, having a high interest in something. Mm -hmm. And so what I've decided to do at some upcoming conferences that I'm speaking at in June is I'm going to make a list of all these gifted traits that are mentioned in this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask the audience to mm -hmm. ask me what they think it means. Now, of course, I'm speaking on autism and empowerment. So what do you think they're going to say? They're going to oh, think it's autism. Autistic yeah. traits. Yeah. And I'm going to say, well, no, this is actually from this book and it's about gifted adults and children. And bring that connection in. Mm -hmm. um, personally, at this time, I don't agree with the statement we're all a little bit autistic. I, I right. can understand how some people think that well, makes people feel more included. But Well, but there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. I often think that the people who say that and the people who have a really kind of visceral reaction to mm -hmm. somebody else saying that they're autistic, I suspect that they're undiagnosed autistics themselves. Um, in my experience, I can respect that from you, but yeah. from my experience, it's been NTs, typically, maybe friends, relatives, mm. um, people that I encounter at different uh, meetings that might say that. And I can't assume why they're saying that. I don't know. I'm sure it's a variety of different reasons. My, but I, you know, one of it is probably because they want me to feel better. Um, it. I'm thinking that's one of their intentions, but I really I think don't, that, don't know. That could be part of it that, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, that kind of societal desire to make people feel included mm -hmm. if you like mm -hmm. them, which mm -hmm. I understand. Can you, when you meet somebody, can you spot an autistic right away or is it still kind of a puzzle for you? Because I don't feel like I can tell most of the time. I mean, there's a few people that I know really well. Well, that's a really interesting question. And when we're talking about autism as it relates to females, it's such a complex topic because as you know, I'm sure, and as many of your audience members know, that we we have ingrained in us since birth because of society, because of our genetics, because of bullying from other girls and women to mask our traits and to try our best to fit in. Um, I cannot say that I recognize other autistic women readily. I can say that I recognize other empathic, caring, empathetic, uh, loving people who's been through challenges and suffering readily mm -hmm. or um, uh, in their life, I should say, mm -hmm. and that they, because of that, their neurology presents itself in a way that is very similar to autistic or if not mm -hmm. autistic, such as um, the extreme empathy, uh, sensitivity to sensory, maybe post-traumatic stress syndrome, generalized anxiety disorder, those coexisting conditions that often come with the autistic. Mm -hmm. But I think your question really can be narrowed down to what is autism? Um, so we can notice maybe those coexisting conditions. We can maybe 
see those more readily, but then when we get down to well, what is exactly autism, if it's those challenges with social interactions, those might not be evident if someone's been masking and practicing and in a way perfecting their humanism their whole life. Well, does that I, make sense? it does make sense, and yet, apparently an holistic person mm-hmm. can spot an autistic person. They might not know that autism is what they're seeing, mm-hmm. but they can spot the quirky person in under 10 seconds. That's very interesting. Well, you know, the stemming aspect, when I'm watching video of myself, I was having a conversation with someone on Facebook this morning in, in the thread about how when I do a video of myself, I'm so thankful there's no video with this <laughs> because I do much better. I speak so much better when I don't have my face in front oh, of me. Oh, same, same. There's a reason this is an audio podcast. <laughs> and I just can't be bothered. Look, when I look at my, myself. I'm in my pajamas. I'm in my pajamas. People. I'm in my bed. <laughs> We're living the dream. (laughs) When I look at myself on the videos, I go, oh my gosh, I look so autistic. (laughs) And it takes me months usually to watch one of those videos. And sometimes I can't even watch them in full because I've got one eyebrow going up and down. My Mm. eyes are up to the ceiling. I'm stemming. I'm moving my head back and forth. But I don't see myself that way. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. So, yeah, I think if there's an autistic who's stemming and moving a certain way, I could spot them easily and be like, oh, there's one of my people. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, yeah. And then sometimes I can really tell by the honesty and mm-hmm. integrity and the bluntness and everything else. The, the frankness. Um, I have a friend, a bro- I have a dear friend and his brother, I, without a doubt, he is undiagnosed on the mm-hmm. spectrum and he's just so there's there's just nothing else behind the door is how I right. describe it with an autistic right. person there's nothing hidden right. it's all out there this is what you get there's no hidden intention mm-hmm. motive mm-hmm. there's no expectation there's no trying to get to something trickery it's just this is mm-hmm. me transparency and, and I'm not out to judge you or prove a point I, I'm just mm-hmm. talking and so in that way, I can spot autistics as mm-hmm. well. Um, so there are different and there filters are, I use. And there yeah. are, unfortunately, there are autistics that lie. Um, there are autistics that troll. You, yeah, really, you know, I've, I, I haven't uh, had that experience. Um, I've been really fortunate in my blog that's had, I don't know, a million and a half um, hits where and I and I talk about this out of um, you know over ten thousand comments. I've had less than five in six years that have been negative. Well, that that's um, wonderful. And yet, and yes, yet, you yes. know, I I'm very new to the autistic community, and mm-hmm. I will agree. Other than what's going on on Twitter right now, uh, it it tends to be a very friendly welcoming community yeah i wouldn't say that it's definite it's it's necessarily friendly. well it's uh, for, um i for I, me it has been i'm just saying for me yeah I, for my experience it just depends on what group you're in yes, and, and, and where you're associating yes. but um, you have to be so careful as far as the lying and honesty of course you can't make a blanket yeah. statement about a whole population i didn't want to come across that way um, autistics are like human beings. We are spectrum. We have all different traits. But for the most part, I, and the people that I've corresponded with, 
a lot of brutal honesty, a lot of high integrity. Um, And there seems to be a tendency for people to more than likely, if not be honest, really want to try to be honest. And, and my thought in some of the people that are the trolls I've Mm -hmm. known, you know, a couple trolls in the very beginning years ago, or who are the naysayers or, or wanting to start those arguments that we have to remember autism it often isn't a standalone diagnosis. So someone that with autistic might also have um, bipolar, schizophrenia. They might have um, borderline personality disorder. Some of those conditions can cause a person to present in a way that they normally wouldn't want to or normally wouldn't always be. So I try to keep that in mind yeah. as well. I think, you know, most of my interactions with trolls happened long before I knew I was autistic. I guess what I want to say is if you go into an autistic community and people are mean to you or you feel misunderstood or maybe you used the wrong word mm-hmm. and everybody jumped on you for saying that you have Asperger's instead of saying that you are autistic, mm-hmm. just it's okay it's not like that everywhere you're in the wrong group or you're in the wrong forum Mm -hmm. and just keep looking until you find a more welcoming and tolerant group and and what i'm noticing about myself because i'm very self-aware which a lot of people that i associate with are um is that i got escalated when you started talking about the trolls and you started talking about this topic and so I'm as you were speaking I was asking myself while listening to you you know what is this emotion that I'm feeling and why I'm feeling this and you've really struck a chord with me and and on my blog Everyday Aspie I mean even my blog Everyday Aspie people won't go and read it because it has Aspie Mm -hmm. in it or my book Everyday Asperger's there's some big groups advocacy groups you know, they won't let me into specific conferences because I still choose to use the word Asperger's mm. and I have my own personal reasons for mm-hmm. that. My whole book is about discovering I had Asperger's, not that I discovered I had autism. Mm-hmm. So I can't go back and change what I was diagnosed with and the process I went through. Mm-hmm. And so this brings up intense feelings for me that I'm recognizing. And I've written on Everyday Aspie, my, my blog, my um, second or third blog, that about integrity in autism groups and I can give you that link if you'd like to share with your readers it's helped quite a few people and it's about what to look for when you're going into a support group an autistic group or an autistic advocacy group or a website you know and some of the key things to me that are indicators of red flags Mm -hmm. because we all have to have our own idea of what our personal boundaries Mm -hmm. are everybody's comfort level is different but if if there's a group that's calling out another autistic by their name. Mm -hmm. Those are people I don't choose to associate Mm -hmm. with. If there's a group that is encouraging debate, encouraging sensationalism and negative articles and topics, you know, posting things that are controversial, what do you think of this so Mm -hmm. that they can encourage that debate and arguing, I steer clear of that. In fact, I've removed, removed myself from most of the support groups on Facebook, and there's only a select few that I will visit and I stay on my page, Samantha Craft, and my page, Everyday Asperger's, because there is a very high tolerance level there. And a lot of that has to do with the person that's leading the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I refuse to engage in debate or conflict or proving my point. And because of that, people that are, know me, they're also more like-minded. Like, we don't need to go there. 
if we are going to have a discussion, let's make it mature. Mm-hmm. Let's not do name calling. Let's not say one person's better than the other or my way is the whole absolute mm-hmm. way. Let's just talk about our different perspectives and, wh- and why we think that way and that um, I respect you as a human being. I respect your opinion. I expect that this upsets you and I hear you and it goes back to being heard and seen and believed. I believe you this is upsetting for you and, and you know, to coin that old, old phrase, let's agree to disagree. A lot of that mindset would really go a long way in the autism community, but because so many people have been hurt in different ways and are struggling and have intense passions and want to make a difference, they have really good intentions that can elevate people and escalate people, and that causes a lot of the chaos. It's finding that line, right? There's been so much of let's agree to disagree, I feel like, especially between women that we're not supposed to have opinions. (laughs) And so, you know, that we're supposed to make nice no matter what. So finding that balance is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And I want everybody to understand who's a member of a group that has never run a forum board or run a Facebook group or anything like that. It's really difficult work and it's a lot of work and it's unpaid labor and there is absolutely no way to make everybody happy. You bring up a good point and there is a fine line between being able to voice your opinion and also you know not causing a lot of disrupt and and triggering autistics, triggering a sensitive population that might already be depressed, suicidal, ostracized. Um, the last thing I want to do is make someone feel more separate and more alone. I do have support groups recommended by other autistics listed on my website. Fantastic. Um, under autism, and I believe there's about 10 of them there. Most of them, I will say, are, are for women, but there are a few for men as well. Because I asked the community, where are some places you feel safe going? Because there are so many out there now. So that's a resource that's, that's out there. I do want to also say something to the people who moderate, especially the Facebook groups. I, I love you people. I belong to over 60 Facebook groups for autism because I want people to know that the podcast exists. You know, obviously I'm not making any money at this. I don't have money to hire a publicist. This is all a public service. And so one of the things I have to do as part of that public service is join all these autism groups on Facebook, some of which I agree with, some of them I don't, but I kind of feel like the ones that I don't agree with that they might benefit the most from hearing the podcast. So I'm really careful to actually join those. But here's the thing, admins and modmins, I can't remember every single rule in all 60 of these Facebook groups. I can't. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, the neurotypical world inside it the autistic is. world. It's, right? like, it's another rule book for the autism communities. That's what I found myself I mean, in the predicament. On. It was like, I just learned how to almost <laughs> the rule book of, of NT's almost, and now I have to learn the rule book of autistics. I just and can't do this. each group is different. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to remember all this. <laughs> But I can respect that people are creating their space and they're creating a space that makes them feel comfortable and that we have the choice of being there or not. I mean, I can totally respect that. And there are people who really thrive off of debate and arguing and sensitive topics. And if there's a whole group that wants to do that, the best to you, but that's not where I'm going to choose to join. You are welcome to 
to join in the conversations on my Samantha Craft that page sounds wonderful. because I'd say maybe I don't even I can't even remember the last time someone wrote something that triggered someone that else. That sounds um, lovely. You know, and I've developed such a high tolerance level and you know, friendliness and tolerance is such a subjective personal mm. thing. Some people have really high tolerance levels. Mm-hmm. But I've developed such a high tolerance level through the years you know, gaining empathy of where all these different people are coming mm-hmm. from, you know. So when someone lashes out or, or says something that strongly disagrees with what I've written, it's like, I understand. It's like, okay, thanks for sharing, you know. And, and you know, you never know what that person's going through that it's day. It's true. It's true. Uh, you don't know if, you know, they lost a pet, they lost a relationship, their chronic illness is, is severe mm-hmm. that day. If they've, you know, they're feeling extremely isolated, if they can't find a job, if they're, you know, a member of another minority, cross-sectional, you know, a a transgender that's been ridiculed, Mm -hmm. you just don't know. And so every time someone gets angry and it seems like it's at me, I remember this isn't about me. Mm -hmm. This is their own personal journey, their own personal struggle. And I just try to embrace them. And that is how the people on my Samantha Craft page are. They are that way. Sounds wonderful. They're so kind. I can't promote the community that we have enough. And and it's not my community. It's our community. And All right. Well, fantastic. I welcome anybody to friend me. I, I accept friendships from anybody except for, you know, the the military overseas that are really in Nigeria. We don't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many of you get those. Oh, I get sure. those like twice a day. <laughs> you know? I, I, I don't, I don't friend the, um, the fake no, profiles. No, that's but, reasonable. But anybody, if you're a human being, an actual human if you being. Are, if you're a real person not trying to scam me, <laughs> then I invite you to, to join the page. One of the experiences that so far every autistic I've talked to has gone through is this sort of life review process where (laughs) they realize all of a sudden, you know, the penny really drops for them and then they start going through all their memories. Did you have that experience? (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, it's an aha. I still have them. They're much more microscopic now and very quick and maybe last a minute. But when I was first diagnosed, they could last for days. Um, It's like a, it's almost like a death. It is a death. It's a death of an old identity. It's a death of a journey of why don't I fit in and who am I and where do I belong? It's a death of grief and it's a death of not really essentially knowing who I was as a human being. And with that, there's a lot of grieving and there's a lot of processing and it's, going through all those moments in my life like that's why I responded that Mm -hmm. way that's why I acted that way that's why I felt that way that's why this happened that's why I was preyed upon by predators Mm -hmm. that's why my former husband never really got what I was saying that's why I lost those friends Um, and so many of the that's why's are painful losses Um, so it can really bring one 
from my experience, could really bring me into a, a depression and also this, I went through this hermit mm-hmm. time. On the other side, there's this tendency, at least it was for me, to overgrip onto the autistic identity. Mm. So all of a sudden, like, well, if I'm autistic, I can't leave the mm. house. Well, if I'm autistic, I can't go to that party anymore. If I'm autistic, I can't do this anymore. And, and so it was this combination of acceptance and what does autism mean to me now and, and, and mm-hmm. how do I present myself now and who am I? And I had to really spend a couple years refinding who I mm-hmm. was and then representing myself to myself and reconnecting with that little girl that was, that was so genuine and so pure and so kind and so innocent and so wanting to be in this world and refind her and take her hand and say, let's go back, let's go back to being us. Um, so that's how the journey manifested for mm-hmm. me. It, it was reclaiming my spirit. It's as if part of me left my body so I could survive this world mm-hmm. and survive all the bullying and ostracization. I, I don't know if I'm saying that mm-hmm. word right, but survive the pain and the suffering. I had to remove who I was and she got to come back. Mm-hmm through this process. So as painful as it was and sometimes is, it's more than worth it and has brought so many gifts and so many wonderful people into my world that I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yay. So do you feel like you masked, it sounds like you do, that that you were masking until you found out you were autistic and then you went through the process of unmasking. Yeah. What was um, that? Yeah. Uh, I, I did not mask for better or worse. I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I just thought mm-hmm. that I just didn't fit into the current culture. And I still get burnout. <laughs> you know, I, I've i <laughs> still gotten burnout. I, you know, I've still been stressed and things like that. So I think that, I mean, masking obviously looks like it takes a lot of work. But when people ask in groups, how do I remove the mask? I don't know what to say. What would you tell them? Yeah, and, and that's a good point. It, it depends on the masking aspect really depends on so many things. It depends on if you had a strong upbringing and were, and were protected by your parents, if you were taught that you're okay just the way you are, if you had friends that supported you, you know, if you... Well, I, I had very little of any of that. Yeah, and, and, and or if you are just innately, genetically, you know, a, a different type of... I want to say stronger, but I don't want to use that word either because it, it implies people that mask are no, weaker. And, and so it's not, it's not even a strength. I don't know what it is that causes some people to mask and well, some people not I to. Say, I think why I did not mask, and I think it's very situational because we moved a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, I was not the quirkiest member of the family, let's put it that way. Oh, there you so. go. <laughs> So in a way, you had people that were like exactly you, the people the people in. that were most mm-hmm. consistent in my life. I felt perfectly normal around. I think the fact just that I just kept moving around, and 
even if I had been trying to learn to mask, I would have been trying to learn to mask in New Jersey. And then, you know, New Jersey in the 60s was very different than Hollywood in the 60s. And so that masking didn't help me at all. Nothing about the way I learned to be in New Jersey helped me in Hollywood. Uh, you know, back then it's hard to imagine, but places were really different. <laughs> you know, we didn't have an internet. There wasn't this homogeneity. There weren't the same stores in every town. So it was a lot more like going from one culture to another when you'd go from one side of the country to the other. And, and I had the opposite experience. I moved a lot as well. And when we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, I moved from California to Massachusetts. I say Connecticut in my book to protect, you know, identity. Uh-huh. Um, I was I was ostracized at the high school and bullied. Mm. And it, I didn't begin to mask until puberty. And I find that's common with females, that, that their autism becomes more evident to other people once they hit puberty. Um, mm-hmm. As a lot of females don't tend to understand the gossip and the cliques and the fashion and what have you. And so my masking began when other people started to bully me. And I learned that in order to fit in, I was going to have to be someone I wasn't or I was going to have to be bullied. And because I had a lot of insecurities and came from a broken home, latchkey home, um, had already had um, abusive things happen to me physically and sexually, I didn't have that inner strength to say, well, I'm just going to be me. I didn't have those role models or those other quirky people around me to make me feel like I was okay and I fit in. And so when I went back to California, I I talk about this in, in the book, Everyday Asperger's, there was this really interesting thing that happened. So I lived in Massachusetts for about nine months and they called me names and called me a slut and called me the California girl. I had people walk into the classroom and say, you're dead after school in front of the teachers and the teachers would do nothing. I had men, her boys, sticking their boobs out in the hallways, making fun of the way I looked, making fun of the way I walked. It was a terrible, terrible Mm. time. And when I came back to California, I had changed. I had metamorphosized. I had fit into the East Coast ways at that school by that time. So I'd spend an hour more every morning on my hair and on my makeup and dress like I was going to mm-hmm. church. And I showed up at my high school in California like that. And I was instantly elevated. I was instantly made the homecoming princess. Oh <laughs> Everyone thought I was wonderful. And I learned at that age how fickle wow. people can be. And that they don't care who I am. They only care about what they see. And so it was very, very confusing oh to me. Oh my gosh. And I, from there, learned that wherever I went, I had to be a certain way to avoid all of that trauma mm. and all that abuse that I experienced. And in a way that experience in California was equally confusing and, and damaging as the one on the East mm-hmm. Coast. Because the unconscious subconscious messages that I was receiving were that we will like you if you're pretty enough, if you dress the right way, if you represent something I want you to represent, Mm -hmm. but we will bully you and and plummet you down and bang you down into the ground if you're Mm -hmm. not. 
And I'm still struggling with that now that I'm 50 years old, approaching 51, is I'm not that quote-unquote pretty homecoming princess that everybody loved. At that time, I thought I was horrific and ugly and hated myself, but that image stayed with me of this pretty homecoming princess is what people admire Mm -hmm. and love, and you will have friends if you're like that. And now that I'm aging, I'm having to go through another metamorphosis of people will still love me if I'm not that pretty homecoming princess. Mm -hmm. So, and I talk about in the book, Spectrum Women Walking to the Beat of Autism, that I helped co-offer with many other lovely autistic women. I talk about in the beginning of my parenting chapter about how I again masked when I moved into a suburban town in California and was a young mother and how I masked for over five years until I ended up in a psychiatry Mm -hmm. ward because I went to that suburban place thinking I'm not going to talk too much. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to smile all the time. I'm going to have scrapbooking parties. Mm -hmm. I'm even going to sell scrapbooking books. I'm going to have bunco parties. I'm going to be in parenting clubs and I'm just going to fit in for once in my life and no one's going to know about my struggles. Mm -hmm. No one's going to know about my pain. And I could only do that for so long until I lost it. And when I lost it, I went from hundreds, knowing hundreds of people to only two people really being there Mm -hmm. for me. So I realized again, if I mask, those aren't real friends. Those Mm -hmm. aren't, that's not true community. Mm -hmm. And again, it was this process of how do I become myself? And that was before I knew I was on the autism spectrum, before I was diagnosed with Asperger's. Mm -hmm. So I still didn't know. I didn't know I went from one mask to the Mm -hmm. next, to Mm -hmm. the next. Um, I'm happy to hear you didn't have to experience that. Well, I think that that kind of negates that this was not easy for me and that it wasn't always a positive thing. Like when I say that I didn't mask, I'm not saying that I went into the situation and was like, oh, these people want me to be somebody else. And I could pretend to be that person or I could be myself and I choose to be myself. That's not how it was. I walked into the situation unable to mask. I see. So the, yes, so that you ha- carried all those same feelings I was still as rejected. a person who wanted to exactly, mask. Exactly, but I couldn't do it. Yes, so, yes. So I, that's a good thing to talk about. I, I mean, was abused, I was rejected, yes. I was fired, I was... So you I, still experienced all, of it, all those experiences. All of it. So it wasn't... But okay. there was nowhere Thank to... Thank you for clarifying there was ne- that. I was never the prom queen. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Not once yeah. was I the prom queen. Ever. There's nothing special about Ever. it. <laughs> I, I know. I'm just saying that. It's like, and, and yes. yet it is still, and I understand that there are different dangerous pressures, but it looks from the outside like some people can control this. And it's another kind of insecurity that we can face. Like, I realize, okay. For whatever reason I recognize that young woman my age is like me, but somehow she's pulling this off and I can't. And so there's something wrong with me. I, I, but I think, some, I think for that woman that's pulling it off, which would have been me, 
I'm not thinking oh, that Oh, I get inside. it. I know. I know. We're both. I'm not thinking <laughs> that at all, that I'm peeling it off. I'm thinking, and like, I get this that. is terrible. I, I, I can't. I I think both experiences They're are both terrible. equally difficult. No, this is not They're a... They're very, very difficult. It's not a contest. It's definitely not and a contest. And there's a different way of processing that, either if you exactly. mask or didn't mask. If you were totally yourself and rejected... Mm-hmm. Like my experience in, on exactly. the East Coast, totally myself, exactly. I'm rejected because I didn't mask on the East Coast. But when I masked on the West Coast, totally not yourself and accepted. It's like, wow, you know, I can be not myself and hated or I mean, not myself, be myself mm-hmm. and hated or not myself and embraced. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really damaging to the mind. Oh, it's terrible. Really no matter, damaging no to matter the mind. which which end of it you're on and and to me that's abundantly clear that different pressures are made to bear and I do think that they come with their own risks I think that people who mask may be more prone to suicide ideation I think that they're more likely to get pressured sexually and to be forced into sexual situations Mm -hmm. that they don't want because when you can't mask like at all and somebody like because I can't mask then other people couldn't mask if that makes any sense so like you know somebody would be talking to me and I'd be like well you're just saying that you want to have sex with me and I don't want to have sex with you so no that's not going to happen and that was so not what they were expecting <laughs> you know yeah I couldn't I couldn't read other people's intentions was when I so, was younger oh I, no I you couldn't. can't tell you yeah. can't tell at all and so I would just being blunt ask people that kind mm-hmm. of thing and but you know I couldn't hold a job I um you know, it goes on and on. I'm so and on. glad we're having this conversation because I've listened to a lot of different podcasts and videos, and I don't think I've ever heard two women on the spectrum talk about masking in this detail. And I apologize if you ever felt negated. That wasn't my intention. I think every autistic person experiences their own own challenges in their in their own way for their own reasons, and I would never want to think that mine were any more or less than anyone else's but I think this is a very empowering conversation and some of the insights you're bringing into it are really fascinating to me it's like wow yeah that the masking creates this other level of uh, vulnerability is is what I hear you saying Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. well and we don't see discussions about masking we don't see discussions about burnout and to me yeah. Just in listening to all the people and all the different groups, like those are two of the biggest deals for us in terms of yes. what gets in our way. And that the rest of the stuff we can kind of often modify. But if we get burnout, we can't work. If we mask, then we get burnout. If we don't mask, then we get fired. So <laughs> sometimes you when can was, mask uh, and get burned out <laughs> and get fired. I recognize all this. I understand. <laughs> Did you want to talk a little bit about um, my job as a senior recruiter we're on, while we're on the topic of employment I do, and burnout? But, but and... before we get too far away, how did you go through the process of unmasking? I, well... 
it's similar to what I already talked about. It was the writing. Um, I was called to write over 10 years ago. I, I have a strong faith in my higher power. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in the book, a really difficult night where I drove off in the night and wanted to end my life. Um, I had two small children at home at the time. And I couldn't take the pressures of the world anymore. And this is before I knew I was a spectrum woman. And I prayed and I listened and I got a lot of signs. And I was told in prayer that I needed to write every day for a year and that I would heal myself and that I eventually would be in contact with other people and help them through their journey. And this was, like I said, over 10 years ago before I knew I had Asperger's. And so I wrote every day, except for one day that I was sick and had this manuscript that I thought was great. And it wasn't, it was crap. <laughs> I didn't know how to write. Um, I, it, I sent it to some uh, agents and publishers and they're like, oh, this is just a first draft. You need to do a lot more with it. And it's a long story, the writing journey, which I talk about sometimes at conferences, but I won't talk about that right now for the interest of time. Through my writing... Uh-huh before my diagnosis and through my writing after my diagnosis on my blog and through my writing when I took those thousand pages, Mm -hmm. 500 posts, 500 pages or a thousand pages and edited my book and wrote my book through my writings, talking to other people on Facebook. That is what brought me back to who I am. And that's what enabled me to stop masking all of a sudden I realized in my book, Everyday Asperger's kind of, you can see that Mm -hmm. happening. I had hooked on to some different identities as I was writing that book. Mm -hmm. And you can see that transition into, I finally am who I am. Um, It was a very long process, a lot of thinking, a lot of Mm self-analysis. And I do um, read some Buddhist books and practice some Buddhism. And, and it talks about before you can enter a certain stage of, of self-acceptance as you become almost this um, this narcissistic approach to self-analysis. Mm. It's, it's everything's about yourself and everything's about looking at you and everything's about dissecting mm-hmm. you and it's me, 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 mm-hmm. me, me. And I went through that. I went through this intense period of me, 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 me. Who am I? How can I make myself better? How do mm. I interact with others? And then I was able to release that and become more of a we, if you will, of I'm part of this collective. Mm-hmm. I'm part of, of this community. It's not about me anymore. It's about us. And But I had to go through that first. Mm-hmm. I had to really look at myself. And I appreciate when people are at that stage, when they're overanalyzing themselves, if you will, and they're dissecting themselves, and they're, and they're coming to these self-awarenesses. It's something that's essential to go through to get out of yourself. Mm-hmm. You first have to go into yourself. Yeah, it's sort of an inventory process. And... It, it does have a beginning and an end. That's the amazing part about it to me. It, you know, that it's, we all seem to have done it. And it's all for different lengths of time. I think I went through the most intense part of it for about three months, and I felt like that was a long time. But I'm hearing now that that's not, that's not long. <laughs> yeah, mine was years. <laughs> You're gifted. Or deluded. (laughs) Or possibly both, uh, is what I'm thinking, is that 
that number one, I'm probably not as done as I think I am. <laughs> well, yeah, it is an onion process. If you've ever been to 12 step or recovery, right. it's an onion process. It's peeling off exactly. the layers. So, you know, I'm exactly. not done. I'm never going to be done as long as I'm on this earth. It's going to be constantly, but it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's done at a higher mm-hmm. step. Before it was done at the bottom step in the pits in the dark, and now when I take off those layers, it's done in the light mm. up high on the highest mm-hmm. step. So it's a different area where I'm peeling those layers, but I'm still peeling them. I'm still learning about myself. I'm still being humbled. I pray for humility every day. Um, I'm still becoming the best version of me. And I like to use the word self-betterment, not self-improvement, mm. that I'm already mm-hmm. okay, that everybody's already okay. Mm-hmm. We don't need to improve ourselves. We're just bettering ourselves. That gave me lovely images, and I agree with you completely. And let's talk about your job as a job recruiter. What is that the kind of like inspiring pep talks you give people as you're helping them find work? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Um, I don't focus on helping people find work. What I do, and I, and I, you know, anybody who does do that, who is a job coach, and especially if you're on the spectrum or neurodivergent, please do contact me because I like to share with others in the community you as a resource if, if you're in that field. What I do is I'm a senior recruiter for Ultra Testing, and you can find it at Ultra Testing, U-L-T-R-A Testing dot U-S is I work for that company. It's out of New York, New York in the United States. And it's been around since about 2013, founded by two MITs. And I recruit people from all over United States and now also Canada, we're moving into Canada, to work from home as quality assurance software testers. And we have a autism hiring initiative, which is actually transitioning into a neurodiversity hiring initiative, where one of the main missions of the company to, is to tap into that um, talent pool of autistics and neurodivergence and bring them into the company and work as software testers. And so my work is speaking on podcasts, speaking at conferences, uh, speaking online, social medias, creating articles. I have a lot of articles I've produced on LinkedIn. Um, one yesterday was on, we're not all tech savvy. Another one was on, you know, what it's like to have an, go through an interview as an autistic person. Another one is 32 interview tips for autistics. So I do a lot of writing and advocating for autistic job seekers. And that is the way that I get word out about the company and hopefully attract people to come and work for the company as software testers. It's all remote work and it is employment. It's not independent contract work and you have the ability to move up in tier levels and earn more pay and even become full-time or even if it fits your skill level become a manager so that's that's a tiny tiny bit of what i do for ultra i'm also their outreach specialist i i helped largely design the whole recruitment process from autistic point of view um so and the person that i helped to hire to be on my team carrie blackman just love her to death she has a son who's on the autism spectrum, and she's in the recruitment team with her, with me. Um, and so we work together to help people that are on the spectrum have a more positive experience with the screening and hiring process. 
Um, not everyone can be hired, unfortunately, and some people are not passed on and become testers, but we try to make that experience as welcoming and full of caring as we can, keep the candidate updated, send them to my website, which has a page that I worked on for two years with the help of ultra testing, and it's all employment and autism resources. So we direct them there. Uh, as an aside, sometimes I will do free peer mentoring outside of my work with ultra to help somebody um, to discuss their employment or their situation, their personal situation, etc. I, you can see that I turn, put on my uh, ultra representative hat. I'm there. very impressed. Yeah, it just all flowed out, and my voice changed, and I became the professional. <laughs> I mean, we all have to mask a little bit when we go into our jobs. Well, you know, I I have a theater company, and so I just look at everything through that kind of lens. So. Mm -hmm. I'm just a really bad actor. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> How ironic right. is that? <laughs> right? so, but I'm, a, I'm an okay designer, and so I like mm -hmm. to design and I like to direct and all of that. But I just see people performing all the time. You yes. Know? I, I slip really easily into my ultra testing role because I've given that pitch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It, so it is just... It is just a role that I slip into, and then I come back to, okay, now I'm Marcy no, again. No, but the, the vocal quality is beautiful, and it sounds professional. Yeah, but you can see the difference that I've learned at my job. Oh, sure. That is, sure. That is what is expected sure. of me. And, and it's interesting because as the observer, I step back and watch myself and just like, oh, I'm laughing, like, okay, there you go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but like when I talked about Ultra, that I see that as still me. It's just a different aspect of me. It's it's the career me, which is different than masking, and I'm able to see that mm. now, whereas before it was just all enmeshed, and I, I didn't know what was what and who was what, and there would be parts of the insecure me in the in the career me, and there would be parts of the confident mm -hmm. me and the insecure me, and it was just all this big, just big twine ball of messed up confusion and now it's really nice because I can just step into my job. That's mm -hmm. my job. And I can step out. And now I'm at home. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it brings up an interesting point, at least to me, is that we all do a little to a degree. And I, when I say all, I mean a lot of NTs mm -hmm. mask. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways, they might understand masking more than I would give them credit mm -hmm. because... Some entities are constantly masking, mm -hmm. um, in my experience. I agree. Yeah, I mm -hmm. definitely agree. Are there any subjects that you feel like we missed that we should touch on? Uh, particularly, you know, just uh, autism related? One thing I'd like to share is that one of my newest passions is diversity and inclusion. And I've been, I wrote a manuscript on best, basically best practices practices for considerations with autistics in the workplace. I call it autism in a briefcase. And being in the job that I've been in for the last four and a half years, I've seen a lot of good intentions, but that can come across as discriminatory. And what I mean by that, and I wrote about that today on LinkedIn, is the autism hiring initiative, some of these bigger programs companies, big name companies, 
some of the conferences, some of the panel discussions I go to, because I do a lot of that with my job, it's representative of the job, is I see the autistic voice being left out. I, be it, I see it being left out of the decision-making of the leadership groups of have that autistic voice being represented in the panels, the autistic speaker being at the autism conferences, those things missing. And one of my passions right now is voicing that it's really nothing about us without us. And it's so essential that as autistic people, we're included in the inclusion discussions and what's happening more than not is we're discluded. So not included. So what an example would be in what I talked about today and posted on my Facebook page is if there was a group of people speaking about putting women on leadership teams and it was all men talking or if it was a group of people talking about people of color and giving them voice and it was all Caucasians talking about it. That's no different than a group of people, trainers, consultants, coming in and talking about what it's like to be autistic and how to help autistics when they're not autistics. And so one of the things I'd like to share is how essential it is that if we really want to be included and we really want to create jobs for autistics, that we're part of that discussion and that autistics aren't just hired for entry-level jobs and that these hiring initiatives aren't just for entry-level positions, but that they're for positions in HR, human resource, community managers, diversity inclusion specialists, so that a trained professional who happens to be autistic can help bridge that gap between the non-autistic, neurotypical, and the autistic. Because so often we're seeing it portrayed as the autistic as the inferior and the non-autistic as the manager or the CEO or the leader. And here is the little inferior autistic that we're helping. And the conversation becomes they, 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 not we. And when you put the autistic voice in there, it becomes we. And it's such a profound difference between hearing they and hearing we. We is inclusive. They is exclusive. And one of the things I came across when I was reviewing an, an, an app that had to do with working with autistics and helping autistics in the workplace was that their literature showed the CEO, the HR manager, and the supervisor as these figures standing and below was the autistic sitting. And my question was, why can't that CEO, that HR person, or that supervisor be the autistic? Why are we assuming mm -hmm. that they're the one mm -hmm. that's in the lower hierarchy? Yeah. So that's a big passion of mine right now that, that I wanted to share and talk about that's happening in the workforce as it relates to neurodiversity hiring initiatives. Well, and that's... I mean, that's just huge because I don't know how many jobs I've had, <laughs> you know, I, I've been through the process so many times, but something happened after I turned 50 and I could not get an interview. Uh, all of a sudden I became completely invisible and 
Yeah, I've got 30 years experience doing architectural design and drafting. And I've been using computers, you know, since like 1975. And I cannot get anybody to interview me. There was a huge building boom for like five years. Nobody would even talk to me. Yeah, as a 50-year-old woman, I can really feel for what you're saying. And I think before, Um, you know, I was quirky, you know, but Mm -hmm. sometimes in a field like architecture, that's indulged. Uh, But I Mm -hmm. still never really got into like a corporate situation. (laughs) I I ended up working for myself, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a degree of ageism that I can see and sense when I apply for jobs or interview for jobs or have in the Mm -hmm. past. And it's, you know, another topic altogether. And then you combine that with also the autistic experience and it's just doubled, it's double rejection It is, and I think part of that Mm -hmm. is because my resume has so many different things on it. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, how Mm -hmm. do I craft a coherent narrative out of this? But... It's another way yeah. of like, how do we fit yeah, in? What is it supposed to be like? Masking. What do they expect? It's masking on paper. Mm-hmm. I've certainly done that quite a bit. Yeah. And when you don't have that skill, well, I don't even know if it's a skill. If you don't have that attribute, mm-hmm. which a lot of autistics That's don't, um, it's very hard to get past that front door and to get even into the interview. And it's a disservice, really, because we're missing out on so many brilliant people or people that can just contribute their kindness or their their attitude or their effort you know we're missing a lot of talent and skill and dedication and loyalty from the the autism community well and this you know Um, this planet is a freaking mess and (laughs) i frankly think it's going to take a lot of you know no-nonsense autistics getting in there and Mm -hmm. and focusing and organizing and you hit the nail on the head and and what i like to talk about is when we start making changes because we're thinking and considering about differences variance variances in minds when we're thinking about neurodivergent individuals when we're thinking about autistics and we're making those changes in educational systems and in workplace environments and at conferences we're not just changing things for autistics and neurodivergence mm-hmm. we're changing them for the world we're changing them for the community at large yes. So when we're making policies that include people and talk about community engagement and talk about a sense of belonging and and we're teaching classes and trainings on reducing anxiety and understanding mental illness, Mm -hmm. we're not just doing that for autistics. We're doing that for the betterment of everyone. And so it really is a win-win situation when we start talking about inclusion and what that looks like for neurodivergent minds. Mm -hmm. Because as I talk about in in some of my trainings and and at conferences is there's a recent study from Cornell University that 25% or 24% of people have now identified, I think they interviewed 3,000 employees or surveyed 3,000 employees with being, with having a disability. So we're looking at a quarter of the population that identifies with at least having one disability. We're looking at one fourth of the population that is experiencing mental disorder at any given day. We are a diverse population that has challenges, that has suffering, that is isolated. Loneliness is topping the charts in the United States. So when we're addressing these issues that most autistic people face, we are helping humankind. And 
And that's how I look at it as a universal approach. It's not about caretaking to the inferior autistics. It's about embracing our human beings and making it a better place for everybody. And I know I went on my little soapbox a little bit, but it's just, that's my passion. That's what I'm doing. You know, that's what I'm hoping that other people will, will start engaging in and doing. Well, it's a beautiful soapbox and definitely worth standing on. And we're, we're, we're all happy <laughs> to hear whatever you want to say from there. I like to ask people a question about something kind of non-autism related. And you said you like to paint. Yes, I do like to paint. I like poetry as well. I wrote a poem on Facebook yesterday for the community just to let them know that I care. Would you like to read it to um, us? Sure, that might be a nice way to close. <laughs> <laughs> um, so because I, I've interacted with a lot of people and I can't remember faces, I, I have some difficulty remembering mm-hmm. faces and remembering my own face. And I would tell you the name for that if I wasn't dyslexic and couldn't pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many coexisting conditions that I can't pronounce because of my dyslexia. (laughs) But um, I can't remember faces. I have poor working memory. And so I know all these beautiful people and we might have engaged in a conversation, but I can't remember (laughs) because I can't remember their face and I can't remember the conversation. And and I was feeling a little bit bad Mm. about that and, and... and um, some guilt about that because I would love to remember everybody and to support everyone, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes all I can do is just support myself, and that might be being in bed all day, oh, yeah. you know? So, so this is the um, poem that I wrote, and it's called Impasse. And I have a poetry blog as well called Belly of a Star. And I know you asked me about my painting, but um, I think I'd rather share about That's my poetry. That's totally fine. So. No. And this isn't like my best piece. There's nothing fantastic about it. But what I like about it is it, it is the core of me and it is how I feel. Yeah, so. let's hear it. So it, it says, I think of you and your struggles more than you know. I might not see your face or know your name. I might not remember what you do or from whence you came. I not, might not follow your steps or recall your colorful tales I might forget what you've accomplished or in which ways you think you've failed. But I think of you and your struggles more than you know. I might be a friend, a shadow, or an enemy true. I might not say everything right or believe as others do. I might not care enough or hide far away. I might hate myself at times or believe it's all okay. But I think of you and your struggles more than you know. I might scream, this is annoying or let out a sigh. I might make claim to a funny or lead some to cry. I might not say enough or go on and on for days. I might slip into silence or act in peculiar ways. But I think of you and your struggles more than you know. I might get it wrong or strike an odd stance. I might sprint beyond or forget that last glance. I might ponder a long while or toss it aside. I might forget all my manners or forego the ride. But I think of you and your struggles more than you know. I might change a mind or cause one to blame. I might take a hand or be victim to shame. I might never know or ask one to tell. I might be off track or perhaps even yell. But whatever we do, whatever we might, whatever your struggles, whatever our plight, Know this to be true from the center of heart. I think of your suffering 
and it tears me apart. And it's my way of saying that I'm crying a little yeah. bit, that I can't remember everyone and everything. And I, I really wish I could. I really wish I could be there for every single person. And it tears my heart that I can't be. Oh, you know, I, I really get it. And all we can do is all we can do. Yeah. I all we can do so is much. all we can do. And my work as a recruiter yeah. and as my work in the autism community, I never even used to call myself an advocate. I just didn't like that word. I felt too prideful, but now I can. But I just see so many, so much yeah. suffering. And I just don't know how some people do it. I really don't. Um, and I just, I wish I was a millionaire so that I could just start a community and employ people and build communities where they could live together. And I just see so much suffering and so much hurting that it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, that it is. Yeah. And, uh, that it is. And I also, on the bright side, having that autistic community and finding those safe places is not only essential, but it saves lives. Oh, absolutely. I've seen the same thing. You know, and I just, that, and those are kind of the souls I, I connect mm -hmm. with. They're just yeah. so dang beautiful. Um, I wish I could put them all up on stage and I wish mm -hmm. that they could all be there. And I, and when I go places, I really try to bring them with me and I pray for humility and I just want their voices to be heard. And I don't like doing this. I don't like being the voice. It's not my comfort zone, but I just feel like that's how I can help. The reason that I'm doing this is because other people did this. Because other people like you, like Sarah Hendricks, like Dr. Wen, like all the other people that I've interviewed and I'm going to interview, all laid themselves bare, all made themselves vulnerable, and then I stopped feeling so alone. And, you know, I'm looking at articles that were written, I don't know, 1998, and thinking, wow, like you put something out there once, it can still be there. You know, 20 years yeah, later, I, I you yeah, know, I it can still what you're be saying. <laughs> creating those echoes and everything. So I... Or the one person that you touch. The one person that hears your podcast. It's exponential because it's just, it just so takes like one person. So you made that list and so then like I'm making a podcast and then other people are listening to the podcast mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. that we don't appreciate how our efforts accumulate over time. We feel like we can never do enough, we can never do enough, we can never do enough. But just making a thing... <laughs> that raises autistic voices, that asks yeah. questions that autistics want the answers to, that discusses these issues in some kind of direct way. Every person who does that is helping all of us. So, And something you said made me think of something. It's, you talked about the, these autistics being vulnerable, and now you're being vulnerable, mm -hmm. and you're putting out there yourself out there. And it's really hard for autistics to be vulnerable. Oh, yeah. 
because we have been hurt and because we have not been accepted for our true selves. And it's a different level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a greater risk of vulnerability. It's here I am again, opening myself up to anything. Mm -hmm. And I really applaud every autistic advocate or anybody who's an advocate that has PTSD or has been traumatized or has been ostracized, which is a lot of the population. Because how scary that is and how brave that is. And how healing, to do that. how absolutely healing, because as you mm -hmm. make really clear, you know, it was your willingness to be vulnerable that helped you heal. And I didn't know that at the time. Right? <laughs> I really, it was very selfish at the time. It was very self-centered. It was, help me, I'm scared and lonely and what's wrong with me? Um, it evolved into that vulnerability, but at the time it didn't feel like a vulnerability. At the time it felt desperate and scared and look at me, give me attention because I've never had it. Now it feels vulnerable because I don't want that attention. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really don't want to be dissected and looked at and put on a pedestal and put on a mm -hmm. stage. So now it feels vulnerable. Yeah. Now I want to be in the back because I'm confident because I love myself. I don't need to be mm -hmm. out there, mm -hmm. but now I have to be out there, so it's kind of a twist. It's a paradox, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon really as we is. don't want fame, then we're stuck with it. I, I know. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and it's really, it's so freeing to say, gosh, I was really selfish and self-centered, and it, it's really freeing to say that and realize, you know, that's just a transition and a part of life. Well, know? and it's, I... I honestly would question with how self-centered it really was. If you are working against conditioning that has been imposed upon you, mm -hmm. you're actually not being self-centered. You're actually dismantling the structures that were imposed upon you. You're still focused in a sense. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant insight. Yes. On yes, what other yeah. people I, did yeah. to you. So yeah, you have to shovel your way out of there, you know. Um, or like if it's if it's a relationship that hasn't worked out, like it just sort of takes time mm, that's to a kind good of analogy. unwind ourselves. Like I feel like we get all coiled up in a string, and if it gets tangled, then shit, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, you gotta, yeah, you just gotta do what you gotta do. So. It comes down to intention for mm -hmm. me. And I'm very sensitive now. Yeah. I wasn't before, but I'm very sensitive to my intentions. Uh, and my intention at the start of my journey was look at me, see me, love me, yeah. uh, lift me up, uh -huh. give me what I need. And now my intention is to serve and to love and to give back. Mm -hmm. But I see that was a necessary part. I needed to have that intention first. Oh, yes. In order to get we where I am now. We need to be now. nurtured. We absolutely yes. need to be nurtured, and however it is that we can get that, we should. And there's nothing wrong with needing that and asking for it and receiving it and focusing on that. Like, we don't get mad at somebody with a broken leg because, <laughs> you know, because it takes them a while before they can walk around the way they used to. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're focused on themselves. Of course, it's all about them getting through the door. Of course, it, you know. 
That's a really, I like that way of looking at it. It's a na- good analogy. I've heard it in different ways, but never in this content before as, you know, the self, looking at the self. But it's true. I, I first had to learn, I first had to be given crutches, and those crutches were other people acknowledging that I existed and that I was Yeah, okay. and because... Before I could walk, I needed that. Absolutely, I, I that. absolutely. And, and that's what I'm trying to give back to other people is that validation that they're okay. Well, Marcy, you have done that over and over and over and over again. I it, I yeah, promise you that if if for some reason you retired tomorrow, Pegasus came and took you away and <laughs> you went to some, you know, incredible gardening island um, and never went to another conference again, you've still made an amazing difference Thank in thousands you. of people's lives. My, my next journey, I, I, I think I would like to write a 365-page book, and every page is a little something to do each day uh-huh. to empower an, an autistic or someone with a similar profile. Like today, was I was put my head on my dog's chest and listened to her heartbeat. And so one day would be find an animal or a tree or nature and just listen to the heartbeat. I'd really like to create something like that. I think that will be my next project. And, and, I, and I feel if I can write more, maybe I can step down more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I do have a meeting, a work meeting in 10 minutes, so <laughs> just to let you know. Well, well let's wrap this up then. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was obviously wonderful having you on the program and anytime that you've got something exciting you want to talk about just let me know and we'll have you back on all right thank you for this opportunity it's been like the most multifaceted unique interview i've ever had i love the ebbs and flows and the different experiences and the different things we touched base on and that's a credit to you and you hosting this and letting us both go on that journey i i just very much value and appreciate it and I can't wait to share this with the community especially since I tooted how great they are over and over again (laughs) Um, and so I I, this is one of the most vulnerable most uncomfortable interviews I've ever given and the most memorable and what's the word I'm looking for memorable and I guess there's no other <laughs> word than happy experiences. Oh, I'm glad. Well, and I hope I didn't make yeah. you too uncomfortable because that's certainly never no, my intention. No, not at all. Okay. I, okay. I think it was the perfect combination. Right. Um, I think you have an inner strength in, in you, or I sense an inner strength in you that enables to bring that inner strength out in other people. So I really appreciate oh, that. Well, thank you so much. All right. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. And yes, people, all those links will be on the web page as soon as I get them up there. And thank you so much for listening. And again, thank you so much for having having me here today. And for anyone out there, you are not alone. And you are beautiful just where you're at and just what you're going through. And you don't need to touch more than one person in your life. And that person can just be you. You are doing exactly what you need to be doing right now. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for being actually autistic. <laughs> Thank you. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.